Real people, real stories and real challenges that break the status quo. I'm your host, Jivila, and welcome to Perception Paradise. Welcome back to Perception Paradox, where we explore the stories that challenge the status quo and reshape our perspectives. But before we dive into today's conversation, let me set the stage for what you're about to experience. Picture this, a world-class water sports athlete who is not just riding the waves, but also making waves in the world of entrepreneurship. Our guest today, Jerome Clotens, is a remarkable individual whose journey caught my attention through mutual friends and our LinkedIn connection. In this episode, we will dive into how Jerome combines his professional athlete career with running a business. We will uncover the story of a young, independent person who ventured into the world of business and discover the motivations that fueled his entrepreneurial journey. So welcome, Jerome. Thank you very much for having me here. I'm very excited to see what we're going to talk about. I'm excited to have you here as well. And my first question, actually, that I should have asked you before, how do I pronounce your name? Jerome. Jerome. It's a French name. It's a French name. So where are you coming yourself from? So I'm originally from Belgium, but my parents moved to South of Spain when I was a kid. They were tired of the rain. And uh, I'm kind of based in South of Spain, very close to nature. Not a bad place to be. (laughs) Not that bad at all. Amazing. You just mentioned nature. So I guess that's a good starting point for our episode because many of Mm -hmm. our listeners might recognize you from the world of professional water sports, particularly kitesurfing. But I think there is a lot more to your story. So how did your professional athlete journey start in the first place? So basically the way it started is quite funny. My dad kind of pushed me into kitesurfing when I was eight. I was crying all the time because I didn't like to spend time in the water. I wanted to play games mostly. But once I uh, got got started to jump on kitesurfing and, and flying, I got hooked to it completely and spent from my nine-year-olds till 17, 16, almost every day, at least four or five hours in the water. And that got me to to see the to see whales out out there to see really nature full on because because where i'm from it's it's there's a lot of a lot of wildlife and that combined with my career as a as an athlete i was able to try to to travel the whole world and really see perspectives that i could have never imagined so i always since since the very beginning i had a really close connection to to nature Wow, that's incredible. And uh, talking about the normal society that you have to go to school and you've been a professional athlete, so it means that you had to train a lot. How did that Mm -hmm. work with your uh, education? Did you have to skip some school or how did that (laughs) was combined? Yeah, so my parents kind of gave me only one rule. It was that I could do whatever I want as long as I passed my exams. I could have the lowest grade, but passed, that was enough. So um, what I did, I, I won the Spanish nationals when I was 14 or 15. And that gets your certificate to skip class and to switch your exams for competitions and so on. I kind of abused a bit too much of that certificate. And um, I ended up using it every time I was not ready for an exam or every time I could um, go for a competition or, or travel the world. So 
that really helped me. And uh, I had to train a lot. I would spend my winters in, in high season in other countries. Uh, back then, I would actually go a lot to Brazil, almost spend my, my winters in Brazil, and then study and come back, pass my exam just barely, and then get back to training. <laughs> Oh my God, that's quite funny. Actually, I was also a lot into sports and some extracurriculum activities and my parents had the same condition to me. If I want <laughs> to continue playing tennis and doing all the travel stuff, I had to study, but passing was not enough for them. So I really had to work. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. but so it's quite interesting. I can relate to that. Mm-hmm. And But okay, so professional athletes, you spend a lot of time on the water. And right now we're meeting on the other side. We're meeting in the entrepreneurial world with you. So mm-hmm. how did that happen? How did you start bridging these two worlds, being a professional athlete and going actually into the business, into a kind of a different industry in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it kind of got into me from a very early age. Both of my parents are uh, entrepreneurs. And then um, while I was traveling the world and getting sponsors and so on, my parents never really touched any of my contracts, even when I was 13. So I had to, I don't know, I get my own bank accounts, deal my own contracts, uh, talk to my sponsors and deal with my own money since I kind of been self, self-financed since I was 14. So I kind of really got to see the world from early stage. And then um, my plan was to, to kite the rest of my life, <laughs> to surf and to enjoy nature as much as I can. But I kept on traveling the world and see pollution, more pollution, um, while, while competing on the world tour, you always go to the same beaches, but in completely different places of the world. So it'll be like Venezuela, then Brazil, then ev- everything like in a loop. And every year I would see more pollution, uh, more climate, like crisis, craziness. Um, and at one point I was like, all right, it's, it's enough to, to only enjoy it. I have to, I have to get some, to do something about it. And very naive. I started as a consumer platform i think you, you you can relate to that um made all the mistakes in the book and now um, i'm learning every day kind of making the same same process as an athlete but but into the tech world mm-hmm. uh, so how long you've been trying right now uh to build the project so officially two years Pala started two years ago yeah Palau, right? Can you tell us more about that, Palau? How how also did affect that from riding the waves to kind of go to the boardrooms and meetings, which is not a common <laughs> daily routine for you, right? So how those two years look like for you with the transitioning? So um, it actually makes me f- feel really good because now when I go out into the water, it's more like a hobby and my work is, is behind my laptop, but I couldn't, couldn't spend my whole day working behind my laptop without having that connection to nature. So it's sort of my, my way to still, still find my reason to work every day. I, I wake up every day to, to try to bring climate action to the world. And every night before I go to sleep, I go into the water to surf, to kite or to wing. And I re-get my energy to go, to go back to working the next day. And if you want, I can just quickly explain why Palau and how mm-hmm. we started. That would um, be great. So sort of the, the concept was that, I, I really believe that sustainability was bullshit from a very early stage. Um, I was v- always getting confused with the products I could see everywhere. It's like, this is good for the planet. This is good for the planet. This is good for the planet. Everything is good for the planet, but the planet is going full on to chaos. So I was like, there's no point to, to, 
to to keep providing solutions if nobody understands anything i don't understand anything so i wanted to create like a a tool so you can understand the real information about that product and that's that's how we started we we created a scanning tool where you can scan any food product and see the impact of, of the environment of the whole supply chain so the transportation even the impact of biodiversity and what, what can you do with the pack, packaging afterwards you use it so we started with that um very naive uh trying to find databases to put in together so we could kind of analyze the supply chain and after one year with, with my two great co-founders engineers we were able to create almost a database of three million products well that's a lot mm-hmm. but um there's always a but here <laughs> As, as I told you, I was very naive. Um, we kind of did like almost 85 or 90 versions of the app, changing it every time to try to really retain our users. But we we didn't do enough research. We didn't really analyze the right underlying problem of, of why people um, care about the environment and, and what are the actual real motivations when it comes to this this stuff. So yeah, lots of mistakes there. And yeah, I, I can keep on talking on this yeah, forever. I, so. But I want to actually follow up on the mistakes, right? So how were you making all those pivots and changes of the app? Were you asking your consumers or was it something what you assumed and that's where the mistakes were coming from? Well, definitely at the beginning, it was a lot of assumptions. Um, I was so convinced, like, I have this problem. I know my friends have this problem. So this is clear what what we need to solve. Uh, it's a very specific there's too much greenwash, too much misunderstanding. But um, with time, I realized that was a really naive approach. I started doing a lot of user interviews. I had um, kind of like all these type of incentives. Whenever you download the app, if you use it more than twice, like my face would pop up and be like, hey, hey, please talk <laughs> me, call, call me, call me. To call, call calling, like all sorts of, of ways to to sort of connect with the user. Talk to tons of, of my users. And I always so, sort of saw these three main specific problems, like, the one that I felt like, yeah, it's it's very confusing and there's no understanding. But then there was there was one like, for example, I don't really want to get involved into this stuff because I feel like as an individual, I cannot do anything about it. Um, the big companies are still going to put their own way. So why should I do it? And then the third one, which is quite, quite powerful as well, is like, it's so inconvenient. It's like convenience always goes first. We did tons of surveys, tons of um, ways to analyze it. And people would always say, yes we would change to the most ethical product, to the most sustainable product. But at the end, the real thing, the real motivation, you would always choose the desired one, the one that's the more convenient to you. So, um, yeah, what we learn is if we really want a product to be ethical, we have to make it desirable because if not, nobody's going to buy it or use it. Uh, doesn't matter if you have all the claims to say that it's good for the environment. Yeah, that's the human nature, right? We also always want mm-hmm. to have more like beautiful and desirable products. So that's a very good point. But in talking about your um, journey as entrepreneur, uh, quite recently, maybe um, a few months ago, that's how I kind of got my intention uh, on your profile and what you're doing. A TechCrunch article on Palo Project mm-hmm. highlighted the perception about athletes transitioning into startups and uh, mm-hmm. is it really uh, the right place for athletes to be in the boardroom so what was your reaction when reading that kind of assumption and piece yeah it was it was actually quite funny because i met the the writer of the article 
and he was quite quite critical about okay um they managed to do some great stuff but they have no idea they have no background and so on and um i was quite surprised because for me it's it's so similar i mean, I, I still have a lot to learn in the tech world i'll, I'll probably make a lot of made mistakes but kind of in an extreme sports you learn how to wipe out get up stand up try again um and you learn sort of break like extreme sports you can break a leg you can dislocate your shoulder very quickly so every step you make you have to break it down in many little steps so you don't break yourself in a way and i feel like in in the tech world you have to do the same thing very complex problems you have to break it down and always have a step forward to 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 keep going through and actually, I, I talked to the to the writer afterwards, um, and now we we're very good friends. He he helps me out quite in quite some stuff. Um, like did a lot of interest to VCs as well, pushing it. Um, I think it was just a, a fun story for them to to put into TechCrunch, and we used it for our advantage. So that was nice. That's good. That's great. Did you get a lot of attention after that article? Yeah, um, we did get a lot of attention in in the U.S. market and very investment focused. Our we didn't get much more downloads from from TechCrunch, that's for sure. Um, it's not not the platform for finding users, mm-hmm. but for for kind of putting our, our our name in the space and sort of being a bit more disruptive, that that helped a lot. And how how do you feel right now navigating in the tech scene and the startup ecosystem? I've noticed that you attended a lot of conferences. You're trying to be quite present. You've just got back from the US, if I'm correct. How is it happening? Yeah. The talks, conversations with the investors. How are their perceptions about what you prob- the problem you're solving and your team? So towards the investors, we kind of changed their approach. Um, I always had a slide in my my pitch. We were always going to put uh, nature before your money. Um, so that would always be like, whoa, whoa, whoa. It would scare out big VCs and so on. Um, and now we we found a couple of partners and actually clients um, where we're able to get our revenue. And um, we're not so much focused anymore on trying to get investors and big VCs involved. We're more completely focused on clients and, and getting um partners involved um, so i'm going more into the bootstrap direction because our mission is so strong and uh, we're really focused on impact before profit it scares out a lot the the vc world even if they all have these statements of of you know like uh we do this for the climate they do this they want to make a unicorn and exit in five years um, of course if we're able to create impact and be a unicorn in five years then it's great for us too but our mission is impact so that 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 has been a big shift for me in the last seven months, six months is more more powerful partners and clients that we can grow into and and find solutions with rather than investors. And we managed to do that. We actually partnered with a Rewild. I don't know if you're mm-hmm. familiar. It's the NGO of Leonardo DiCaprio. It's the biggest uh, NGO for biodiversity and wildlife to protect uh, species that are almost about of extinction. They even put around. 800 species back into like out, out of extinction basically they're super powerful they really believe in our mission and uh, we're the first digital partner we've, we've done a couple of campaigns their major influencers are are sharing our app which are friends of DiCaprio so they got millions of followers and um yeah we didn't get like a massive investment or anything but we we're getting sort of s- solid revenue out of this and going slowly into into the next step 
which I think is way more sustainable than than the first approach I had. That's amazing. That sounds really, really exciting. So now listening to you talking about your also entrepreneurial journey, a bit going back to your history um, as an athlete, right? You kind of, your path is really filled with uh, quite some accomplishments. And you also got just into this new category of water sports, which is wing foiling. And I think what you also became a winner and you got some top uh, place. Am I right? Yeah. I'm currently ranked as the top three in the world. Okay. I did second uh, last month. It's a World Cup, so I did like a world tour. I did second in the World Cup in Gran Canaria and um, third in the one here at my home spot. Um, it's a really cool sport. I'm really, really enjoying it. And I have all my background from kitesurfing and all my sort of uh, knowledge from startups to innovate I'm bringing it into the wingfall sport, so it's very uh -huh. cool. That's so basically, it's a reverse success, right? But was it always yeah. that smooth, your journey? No, no, not at all. Maybe, maybe all. you have some Definitely stories not. to share. Like, what were those? Uh, I'm very curious to hear, and I guess the audience as well, what they were those challenging, and um, how did you cope? with the failure and because sometimes we just keep hitting the wall and there are periods mm -hmm. in life where like we think that the whole universe is against us so maybe you can share more yeah. how are you coping with such periods in your life um really failures and wipeouts are really clearly a way to learn that that is the way you learn in extreme sports that i think that's that's the main thing but um i never and let's say starting from the beginning as a professional kite surfer i did that for four years competing on the world tour non-stop while studying uh, economics in in barcelona with my certificate so i could skip skip school but <laughs> um so back then i was younger i didn't have a coach i was convinced that i could make the right decisions for myself on my own and i would be very stubborn so i wouldn't break down complex tricks complex uh yeah, maneuvers from kite surfing into smaller steps, you know, like training in the trampoline, training outside, talking to other athletes. And I would get stuck. I kind of got stuck. I was ninth in the world for almost four years in a row and I couldn't, couldn't get further. And, um, I was yeah always, always at the same position. And now with my startup, uh, I learned so much from, from there. So I, I learned really how to do incredible boring stuff. Sometimes I'm three or four days working on a problem that I really don't enjoy, but I have to break it down. I have to find my types of motivation to keep going. And that kind of broke sort of a, my, my inner talking in a way, the way I talk to myself. Um, and then I brought it back into the water. So that's the reason why for the first time ever, I'm actually starting to, to be one of the main guys in the sport because um, I, I really learned how to talk myself differently and how to, not get stuck into a problem, but finding ways to innovate. In in wing foiling right now, out of the four or five best maneuvers that the people are doing, three I came up with. So um, actually, those tricks are called palau. So you can really? do a palau flip. That's so yeah, it's, insane. It's, <laughs> it's that's so quite cool. But but yeah. So imagine for me getting stuck on the same position for four years, switching to um, a bigger purpose for me, which was palau. And then learning from Palau that, oh, actually, I can do both. Um, I can I can use my learnings from Palau and put it out into the water because I was doing a completely wrong approach. I have the, the mentality, the skill set, and sort of the talent, but I didn't have the way to break it down and to, to learn along the way. And that I got completely, like, 100% out of my startup. 
That's interesting. So kind of in a way, Palau and focus on the business help you to shift your perspective. Were there any other tools you were using? Because you mentioned also about mentorship, right? And some coaching that did you get some mentors that helped you get out of that stuck cycle? Mm -hmm. Exactly. So in, in, as an athlete, I never looked for mentorship and coaching, but for business, I was so new to it. I couldn't learn. So I, I think I've, almost every night I listen to a podcast before I go to sleep. I read tons of articles, books. Um, like I, I look at all the competitors that we have, what they do better. I really looked out outside of myself. That's the problem. Also kitesurfing, wing falling are very individual sports. So you're always looking what you're doing wrong, what, how you, you look into yourself, what you can improve. And um, that I had to completely switch in a startup. You're a team, not an individual. You, learn what competitors are doing there's so much data out there you um it's not the decisions are not so emotional as an athlete you have to make actual logical decisions and um yeah so as a startup i i have like six seven mentors that are super useful to me um that i've learned along the like met along the way um we got also into a few accelerators programs that i met tons of other startups that i talked with um so I really learned how to use community and, and the knowledge from other people to to myself. And that's something I would never do before. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it's quite a large change to open up your mind to some kind of mm-hmm. external uh, environments, communities, and then kind of filter out what is relevant for you, what's not relevant for you, and that not every advice mm-hmm. we should listen to, but we can get inspired. Exactly. That's also a very interesting point, right? Sometimes we're just so blind yeah. following, oh, I'm going to do now this. I'm going to follow this path because that's the right one. There is no right path. We have to create the right one for us ourselves. Mm-hmm. That's pretty inspiring. And during this whole moment, it, it seems like, okay, you've been in kind of career path. Uh, from a very early age, right? You became a professional athlete. You started dealing with your own money since you were 14, contracts, everything, then Mm -hmm. school on the side. And then it seems like you immediately jumped into the startup world as well. Have you ever encountered some kind of burnout? Or how do you deal with uh, this, uh, some kind of setbacks in business and sports? Do you have some kind of ways to uh, relax, to refocus? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. It's kind of going out into the water. It's I, I call it wash off, washing off the day. Um, I think even um, a really famous surfer has has this quote, and I think it's so good. But it's you you wash off your day. So whenever I'm I worked like nine hours, I had a really bad day. I just go out into the water, uh, ride for two hours, and everything kind of goes away, and I can sleep. When I go to Berlin to work with my co-founders, or when I go somewhere else. I have a really hard time. I need to find some way to connect again with nature and kind of lose all this, um, you know, like tension and stress. But um, I, I, I have burnouts at some points for sure. I have moments where it's really stressful. And especially it's important to know that I, I, I'm talking like if I, I made it, but I'm still a, a very early stage founder, pre-product market fit. Um, my runway is always very tight. I think I, I've been moments where... <laughs> where nobody could beat me at a shorter runway. But um, yeah, I learned how to cope with it. And uh, it's sort of an extreme sport as well. So it, it has this, this fun stuff. It has this really stressful moments. But kind of the mixing of, of, of going out into the water and working is what works for me. 
Mm-hmm. Do you think that being a professional athlete uh, helps you to cope with uncertainties, especially having a mm-hmm. very unclear runway of the money? Yeah, exactly. Um, this is something that you learn as an athlete. If you want to be the best, you just have to spend more time than the rest riding or training. You cannot expect them to be better than, than anyone else without it. So when I'm talking about Palau, I'm, you know, everyone is like in one year or two years time, you have to be successful or you have to quit. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm literally playing in decades. I, I know from a fact that you're not going to be the best in the game without spending a decade on it. Or like, I don't know if you look at Figma, Slack or any of these huge mm-hmm. platforms, they spend two or three years at least in the dark, changing concepts, pivoting all the time. Yeah. Doing all, all sort of crazy stuff that people don't forget about. So it, for me, it's very easy and calming that I know that I can perfectly be another three years struggling my way through because I know that um, I will get to a point where most people quit and then that's where you really get the learnings and where you're able to go further than everyone else. Mm, that's a very good point that uh, you get to a point at some point where most people quit and you get there just by being very stubborn and resilient mm-hmm. and having a very clear why. Why are you doing mm-hmm. this? Sometimes I think what I uh, feel from talking to many people who wants to do that change or someone who is now uh, starting something new, a lot of we kind of mistake our why, mislead with the seek for external validation. And I think that's when you mm-hmm. start seeking for external validation, that's when actually you keep bumping into the wall because the intention is very yeah. wrong. Money, validation, etc. Besides, except rather than focusing on an actual problem mm-hmm. solving. So that seems that Palau has a very clear value proposition. So I think it really helps to go way further, right? Mm-hmm. But, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It, that that I, I do still think it's super important to find your sort of ways to get momentum, um, especially if you have a team. This is another mistake that I would do quite often since kitesurfing and wing falling is such an individual sport. I know where to find my own motivations and then kind of not, not feel like we're not moving because I can always get motivation from somewhere else internally. That's what you learn as, as an athlete. But as a team you sort of need to build momentum. So you need to celebrate your wins every now and then, um, even if, if they're very small or we're, we're kind of pivoting, changing concepts. I think we, we, we've done a lot of different, like the app is just one thing that we've been working on. We've been working on a lot of different stuff, changing concepts, always with the same mission, but sometimes it feels like there's no momentum in, in my team. And, and that's something I really had to learn to kind of like find ways to celebrate smaller wins and, getting people together to, 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 to feel that validation. Okay. I'm actually working on something that has an impact. How do you do that? How do you celebrate and find those moments? Yeah, it's tricky. You, you break it down even smaller. Um, and when, when a failure, like for example, let's say we, we, we built like a AI bot to, to do recipes using open AI and so on with our own database that you could, um, yeah, use recipes with the carbon footprint, water use and land usage. It was not too hard to build, but we put it out and it was not like the big success that we were expecting because we were thinking to put mapping out the whole user journey from, from our users. It's like you scan your food products in the supermarket. When you get home, you use 
the information from your products and then you get into use the recipes that we made for you um, and you can track your progress over time and so on. But that didn't really work out. We didn't really see such a good retention rate there, but we learned so much. It's crazy. We managed to build way faster than before. Um, our, our sprint phases were, were much shorter and so on. So we really did like a meeting, all of us like, look, this is all of the things we learned from this, even if it's a complete failure or if we're not going to end up using it. Like it's crazy how much stuff we know now that we didn't know before. And I think that that is sort of what our momentum right now, whenever we, we're building something, we know much more than what we did before. Yeah, that's amazing. And talking about building something, we all know that we always try to do something uh, perfect and the best version of mm -hmm. everything. And you've mentioned uh, on LinkedIn, one of the, your LinkedIn posts, uh, LinkedIn posts that imperfect execution beats postponed perfection. And this is a very powerful yeah. statement. So how do you strike a balance, especially when the stakes are high? Yeah, and especially on climate action. I think this yeah. is such an important thing, like, I, I kind of even got it to a step forward, like embrace being a hypocrite because mm -hmm. even for sustainable living, um, you could, let's say, for example, I, I have to fly to London to meet with some couple of partners for, um, yeah, try to build whatever we're building now to the next step. You produce, you know, you like, consume this amount of CO2 to go there. And then there's always a perspective that, look, you're, you're not going forward or they, they, you're not doing actually what you, you think you're doing. So it's really about, um, yeah, just doing it imperfectly, but moving forward all the time, not taking everything too seriously. And yeah, if you, if you look at for perfection, we're going to stay stuck here forever. So we need, we need to do tons of solutions, solve tons of things, but imperfectly so we can move faster. There's no time to, to do everything perfectly. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a part of our culture that we, we test way quicker now. We, we still have to be proud of whatever we built to ship it out to the public, but really like, like kind of like this minimal lovable product uh, mindset. You still love it, but you, you're not going to be perfecting it. So yeah, this is really in, in, in building and in climate action, we have to understand that it's going to be imperfect. We don't have to be like, I, I always use this comparison. We don't have to be uh, Greta Thunberg to save the world, mm -hmm. uh, but we could be more like Leonardo DiCaprio because he, <laughs> he like like does in tons of investments into like puts his strength into uh the climate so his image his money is everything but still life, lives life to the full he's um yeah partying celebrating having tons of fun time but whenever he can he uses his strengths to save our planet and i think that's more of a uh, more of a sustainable way of doing it because if you're going to try to do everything right you're going to get stuck mm -hmm. sure And it's pretty difficult nowadays to do that when we just get yeah. really into the obsession side. But talking about the problem you're solving, uh, how does the competitive landscape look like? Are there anyone who is doing something very similar to you? If yes, how do you find strength to keep going mm -hmm. and keep pursuing your mission? Yeah, well, in any tech space, there's tons of competitors always. Absolutely. Um, there's, there's no doubt on there. So we've, we've, we've got a ton, um, but I believe nobody has really managed to, to really grasp this opportunity of, of, of the sustainability chaos. I think there's a lot of startups, a lot of them that have shifted more B2B, kind of like what we're doing now. We're, we're shifting way more B2B, um, using our solutions to help other companies as well. 
but um, yeah, I feel like the, the competition is high. There is still a lot of opportunity and I use them as inspiration all the time. And I mean, my, my whole career as an athlete has been lift up and progress thanks to competitors. Um, last week when I did the world cup with, with the, in the final, the, the guy, the, the first, first guy beat me by four or five points. He was way better than everyone else. But since I knew that he was going to beat me by at least 10 points, I pushed myself so much harder than, than I, I tried tricks that I, I didn't feel comfortable with because it was my only way to, to actually have a chance. So I got, I got out of there with better tricks than I got there at the beginning of the of the competition so competitors is is a great thing and it it really lifts you up and puts your level go higher and higher very well said um, i agree that it's kind <laughs> of uh and i like when we do also compete but also kind of collaborative communication approach where mm -hmm. we instead of shaming we actually support that we are trying to solve the problem um, and I'm very curious because, again, we're going back to the perception. So uh, how do you handle the situations where, let's say, external perceptions, they're, they don't align with your internal reality or vision? How do you react? And do you have some kind of ways of, I don't know, you go and educate or you go and or you stay silent maybe and just continue doing what you're doing? Or it depends on the situation. Um I kind of have my my way of doing things. I don't feel like I'm in a position to educate anyone or to, to make them change their minds, but I'm here to provide solutions in case they want them. Mm. So especially with climate action, my friends, they always make fun of me. Hey, you tree hugger, you, you this, you that. Um, and it's like, whenever I get an opportunity, I show an example, you know, like try to lead by example, show them. Um, I help a lot of the scientists here with the whale whales research so sometimes i bring my friends bring them out into into the water so always try to make them feel connection with nature or giving the example but i don't tell them hey you got to recycle you got to stop eating meat um, but if they want to stop eating meat or recycling here's all the solutions i can give to you to to help out so i'm, I'm never going to put myself in a position to tell people what to do or, or change their mindset but i'm always gonna be there or provide solutions uh in case they start thinking about it or uh, try to give them more awareness by by seeing perspective that I, my life has given me the opportunity to do so. So I think that if, I don't know if that answers your question, but yeah, yeah, it does, I'm, not, it does. I'm not, okay, perfect. Yeah, but I can totally get you. And do you think uh, that the startup world could benefit from more founders with non-traditional backgrounds? Like, I don't know, art, sports, science, and if so, why? Mm -hmm. But for sure, I think startups is exactly that. No, you're bringing a perspective nobody has seen before. So if we always come from the same background, then then it's quite obvious that you won't won't come up with something new. Um, my best ideas don't come by doing the traditional stuff, kind of my own my own way. Maybe kiting, connecting more to nature, and so on. So definitely, the more diverse you are with the rest, the the better. Even there's a bigger opportunity of of you come up with something completely different. Uh, like kind of like what um, Spotify does. I, I really like their culture in terms of, of competition. When a competitor is doing something, they do completely the different. And I think uh, same with backgrounds. If you're able to, to see something and be completely different, then you already have your own value. Be like being yourself and being different is kind of what founders are, right? Mm-hmm. 
But it's, sometimes it's so difficult because kind of we are uh, stuck in those societal norms and kind of some kind of categories. Mm-hmm. Everyone wants to put you in the box, right? Uh, I'm very curious to learn how were you not afraid to do the first step, step into the, your entrepreneurial journey? Because many of us really are kind of now, especially mm-hmm. in between 30, 40 years old or from 26, yeah. you kind of reached everything in life. You're kind of got your degrees, career, maybe family, house, whatever. And then you kind of will lose our sense of being the purpose and i've spoken to many people who are really afraid to make that first step i don't know what was your experience with that you were younger when you were making that but maybe you have something to share with the audience that could empower to do that step um my opinion if you're able to start a company and try to you know you have to have so many hats you learn so much that at the end of your journey if you didn't make it out you're more useful than people that went to to do a study or something. So um, I'm I'm sure if imagine in, in five years or maybe I'm gonna keep going until forever. But <laughs> if, if I never make it never make it out with a, a proper solution that I managed to scale, um, I learned so much stuff that I could be helpful for a lot of different companies. And I already see that if uh, when I talk to to, to partners or, or, or other ones, like if it ever doesn't work out, like. Give, give us a, a call um, because your team is is, is great. So um, I, I honestly think it might feel like a big risk because it's true that for, for the first two years, you might not touch a lot of money. You're going to have to figure out a way to to stay lean and mean. But the learning of, of staying lean and mean and, and really pushing everything is going to be so much more valuable than... I, I studied for four years because my parents wanted economics and business economics in, in, in Barcelona. And to be honest... I wish I would have started my company four years before because, uh, I mean, it, it's a great learning step in between, but but it, the the five, four months on a startup are way more powerful than four years in in studying what you've been told to study. Mm-hmm. So how does it feel right now when you are doing something that you were not told to do? Um, well... I, I've never really not been told to do my, my parents are entrepreneurs, so they're very open-minded to this. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as a, yeah, I, I like, I like going against the odds. I, I really love the stories like David vs. Goliath or, 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 um, or an athlete that comes from Brazil and ends up, uh, traveling the whole world and winning a world cup. These stories are, give me so much energy. So I really, I really enjoy being the underdog and, um, it, it it gives me power, so I I think it's, it's 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 such a cool cool position to be in. Is it a common thing in the sports and env- sports environment you're coming from for people after their professional athlete career to switch to entrepreneurship, or you're one of those few people in the community? No, I would say there are quite a few. Um, Kitesurfing is not the type of sports that you can retire and and just chill like the the football players you (laughs) you make some money but you're not gonna you're not gonna be rich at the end of your career that's for sure so you kind of have to find your hustle and um yeah when you find you know you know that from the beginning so you already while you're doing kitesurfing you're you're thinking about ideas i have a lot of friends that i even have a couple ones that have SaaS startups that are working very good Um, and to be honest my main source of, of, of finding engineers, designers and everything is through the sport. So um, kitesurfing is really giving me ton, tons of, of, of impressive people that I can work with. 
And uh, so, yeah, I, I definitely think uh, the next step from kitesurfing is, is into business most of the time. So that's what I've seen so far. That's amazing. That's super inspiring. So I do have for you now, Ready, a very rapid fire round of a few questions so we can learn more about you and you just quickly answer, okay? It's going to be like mm -hmm. four quick questions. So beach or mountains? Sorry? Be beach beach or, mountains. or mountains? Beach. <laughs> beach. <laughs> okay. Uh, one book that shifted your perspective? Oh, um, probably the... Red Hot Chili Peppers book from oh. from the main singer. Actually, that one I was list. it's years ago, but uh -huh. it's a really good one. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Okay, maybe I will have to uh, check it out. Then a startup other than yours you admire. What stage? It's up to you. Maybe there is some startup you just admire and follow, and you think that they're doing some quite cool pivots or interesting no, decisions. No nude project they actually pollute quite a lot but they're friends of mine and it's crazy how much <laughs> they managed to grow even if they're con consumer products non-stop their strategies and their lean and mean like crazy okay okay cool we will check it out and one word to describe your journey so far crazy <laughs> <laughs> That's the local. okay cool thank you so much so we're getting to the final question and um, I'm a fan of traditions and when we can have some kind of two-way conversations, engagements. And right now, after each episode, uh, I invite uh, guests of this podcast to leave our listeners with a thought-provoking question. So, Jirama, I would like to ask you, what question would you like to share with our audience to dive into today as they continue their journey of perception and self-discovery? Are you willing to be a hypocrite to save our home planet? That's a very good one. So, so Jerome, mm -hmm. it's been a pleasure exploring your journey, your journey from kitesurfing to entrepreneurship and kind of how they both correlate with each other and insights into perceptions and realities have been really inspiring. I really want to get mm -hmm. out myself now out in water and just to kite because I haven't done that for a few months. So I'm like, I really want <laughs> to go back. So thank you for reminding us that with the right perspective, we can surf any challenge that comes our way. And the final question, where can people follow your journey? Um, I'm a bit mostly on LinkedIn, Instagram. Those are the, the ones that I'm more active on. Okay, so we will put it in and the I'm description. Very, very, I'm more reachable through LinkedIn because it's more like work-related. So I okay. feel like I could answer it quicker. Oh, nice. And one more question, actually. Where can people download your app? Only Europe or also the US market? Europe and U.S. market right now. Europe and U.S. market. Okay, so everyone who is tuning in from Europe and U.S. market, I guess it's worth checking out. So we mm -hmm. get closer to the sustainability and uh, understanding the food chain, right? And yes, mm -hmm. thank you so much for being here today, for jumping on this adventure. And dear listeners, uh, you can engage in the Spotify comments and answer Jerome's questions. So make sure you share your insights and just so you know that your time and support means the world to me and thank you for listening and have a fantastic day wherever you are thank you thank you very much <laughs>